Hey, aloha and welcome to the Bridgetown Daily. My name is Jaren and I lead the youth communities here at Bridgetown. And for today's daily, I have the privilege and honor of highlighting the spiritual leadership and life of Brian Stevenson, who to this day is one of my favorite influences um, from afar. And I'm sure that's the case for many others as well. And for those of you who haven't yet heard of his story or work, my suggestion would be to read his best-selling book, Just Mercy, which is by far one of the most powerful, long-suffering, and mercy-filled stories taking place with Brian's life experiences and wisdom, firstly, as a black man, and secondly, as a lawyer advocating for the oppressed in the midst of severe injustice and inequality right here in America. His life and book, which by the way also was made into a film in 2019, shed light on the egregious 1980s era of the American criminal justice system that he elaborates pretty thoroughly in Just Mercy. For now, I'll give a terribly brief summary to give you a little bit of context for the suffering and injustice Brian chose to get close to. So the tragic formula, in a nutshell, of the American prison system of the 1980s was this extreme punishment for those with minor offenses. And the tragic consequence of that formula was mass incarceration, the breakdown of the family unit, particularly for the black and brown community, wrongful death sentences that literally included children, and mental health severities that plagued culture and economics in the States. So bearing those incredibly spiritual, social, and judicial wrongdoings, How did this, at least at the time, how did this young black Harvard graduated lawyer from Milton, Delaware, respond to those realities? Well, in 1989, he founded the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, which, by the way, EJI is located near the landing at the Alabama River, where enslaved peoples used to be unloaded, literally, in the domestic slave trade. And EJI is also near the Court Square in Alabama, which historically has been considered one of the largest enslaved people's auction sites in the country. So Brian articulates the mission and praxis of EJI in his book, most notably through his most famous defense of the wrongfully accused Walter McMillian, whose controversial case involved Walter as an innocent black man being wrongfully accused and sentenced to death for the murder of a white woman. Walter's case became a national bookmark in the American justice system for decades following it. And I'll leave you all to read the book and watch the movie for yourselves, but not just to find out what happens to Walter, which is pretty awesome, but also to literally feel the heart and mercy of God through Brian's life story. And as of 2019, EJI, or the Equal Justice Initiative, the nonprofit that he started, has saved 125 people from the death penalty and has helped countless others in the process of wrongful convictions and defending basic racial and economic human rights right in the heart of Montgomery, Alabama. Bearing all of that in mind, I wanted to offer some insight into the wisdom and godly convictions behind the power and history-making of EJI's founder, Brian. So first and foremost, one doesn't have to go like to follow his work and guidance for long to realize that this man is proximate to suffering, just like Jesus was and is. When Brian was just around 16 years of age, he was already close to suffering and the reality of it, both in the negative and formative sense, though. 
By 16, he was already familiar with the dehumanizing legacy of racism, racial segregation, and poverty and his experiences that he talks about in his book give you that insight. And he was also born and raised into a rich faith heritage growing up in the Prospect African Methodist Episcopal Church, where he was exposed to the lives of faithful Jesus followers. And also it's where he learned through the stories of his congregation that in his words, he says this, the more you had fallen in our church, the more you were celebrated for standing up. His maternal grandfather, Clarence Golden, was killed, so this is another reality of suffering, was killed in his home during a robbery. In response to the murder of his grandfather, Brian was literally quoted saying, because my grandfather was, was older, his murder seemed particularly cruel. But I came from a world where we valued redemption over revenge. As I hope you're beginning to see and feel that this man became wise through his proximity to suffering. So much so that his recurring counsel to people is to become willing to get close to suffering. In his own words, if you are willing to get closer to people who are suffering, you will find the power to change the world. One more quote from him just to drive the point home. Proximity has taught me some basic and humbling truths, including this vital lesson. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. My work with the poor and the incarcerated has persuaded me that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Finally, I've come to believe that the true measure of our commitment to justice, the character of our society, our commitment to the rule of law, fairness, and equality cannot be measured by how we treat the rich, the powerful, the privileged, and the respected among us. The true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned, end quote. Does that sound like the Sermon on the Mount to you? So second and lastly, he used his proximity to evil, suffering, and injustice to birth love and mercy, just like we see in the life of Jesus. And while you can clearly see this reality through the work he and EJI are embarking on on a daily basis, I personally, like my heart was so moved and I saw this aspect of his character most clearly through a story he tells in his book about his interactions with a prison guard that literally left me in tears. So I hope I do it justice by recounting it here with you to close. So while Brian was so accustomed to walking through prison yards as a lawyer, as you could imagine, he starts off the story by mentioning a particular walk through this prison yard because he couldn't help but notice and investigate a truck in the yard. And what caught his eye about this truck was the fact that it was covered in provocative stickers of racially oppressive symbols. Frazzled by the signs of hate and welcome on the truck, he entered the visitation area of the prison. And while he was familiar with the etiquette of communicating with prison guards, this particular white prison guard he faced in this instance was different. Quote, you have to be searched first, said the guard, which isn't necessary for lawyers to do. You're going to go into that bathroom and take off everything if you expect to get in my prison. And Brian replied, oh no, sir. I think you might have me confused. I'm an attorney. Lawyers don't have to get strip searched to come in for legal visits. And the story goes on with the prison guard basically making Brian do a full 
strip search in order to visit his client, which was wrong, dehumanizing, and outright humiliating. And for Brian, on his way out of the strip search area, the prison guard literally shouts to Brian saying, Hey man, did you happen to see a truck out in the visitation yard with a lot of bumper stickers, flags, and a, and a gun rack? And Brian replies cautiously, Yes, I saw that truck. And the prison guard said, I want you to know that's my truck. And in that moment, Brian mentions the valid feelings of anger, disgust. And even he even explains that the more his anger... More than his anger at the guard, he was more irritated by his own sense of powerlessness. Can you imagine that? Now, the story goes on by explaining how that same correctional officer was present throughout Brian's defense of his client in court. And actually, in a sheer mark of grace, they encountered one another again sometime later at the same visitation center. But this time, it was very, very different. In this next moment of encounter, the white prison guard's demeanor was clearly different, outright nervous as he helped Brian to once again visit his client. And the guard says this, you know, um, I took your client Avery to court for his hearing and I was down there with you all for those three days. And I, well, I want you to know that I was listening. You know, I actually appreciate what you're doing. I really do. It was kind of difficult for me to be in that courtroom to hear what you all were talking about. I came up in foster care, you know. I came up in foster care too. And man, I didn't think anyone had it as bad as me. They moved me around like I wasn't wanted nowhere. It, I had it pretty rough. But listening to what you were saying about Avery, Brian's client, made me realize that there were other people who had it as bad as I did. I guess even worse. I mean, it brought back a lot of memories sitting in that courtroom. And the prison guard continued to share about his current problems and traumas and then goes to ask Brian, you know, that expert doctor that you put up in court said that some of the damage that's done to kids in these abusive homes is permanent. It kind of made me worry. Do you think that's true? To which Brian says this, oh, I think we can always do better. The bad things that happen to us don't define us. It's just important sometimes that people understand where we're coming from. Now I can imagine in that moment, someone who humiliated him and dehumanized him and full circle, he's looking at this wounded white prison guard saying, hey, I, I, I get it. Now to me, that is a story of taking on evil and birthing mercy and love. Like Brian, and like Jesus, may we go and do the same, remembering that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Aloha. <laughs>